What does it actually mean to be a bad bitch? I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and if you're asking me, it means being fully alive, unstoppable, kicking ass at the things that light you up, and being permanently unavailable for the things that make you feel like shit. Whether you're a boss bitch business owner or just someone who goes hard on your personal and professional growth, buckle the fuck up and get ready to be inspired, challenged, and take action. Let's do this, boo. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Bad Bitch Therapist Podcast. I am so honored that you're here and here with me for another solo episode today. So a rare back-to-back solo episodes. I came in off of our normal bi-weekly cadence a little bit back to share an IG Live that I had done about my brand new membership, Lit AF. So I couldn't wait to share that with you guys. And now we're back on schedule We will have an interview for the next episode in a couple of weeks, and I'll share a little bit about with you, a little teaser on that here in the intro. And I want to also just say before I get any further into this episode, I know this title is a little controversial. You could say a little clickbaity. I do believe it. So it's not clickbaity in the sense that I'm just being controversial to be controversial and then can't back it up. But Trust me when I say that I will give it plenty of context and nuance in this episode. And if you didn't see the episode title, it's called Five Reasons Coaching is Better Than Therapy. So we'll get back to that in a minute. Meanwhile, let's talk about what I've been watching, reading, and loving, a little segment that I like to do in the intros, watching the most recent movie that I've gone to in the theater. And little sidebar, I don't think I've mentioned this before on the pod, my husband and I are doing AMC's A-List. And part of it is like, y'all, I feel bad for the movie theaters. Like They just really got hit so hard during COVID. And I know so many industries did. And like of all industries, I should feel bad for maybe the movie theaters isn't one of them. But I have such a nostalgia for the theaters. And I just like the experience, even though we actually have like a pretty nice home theater. But regardless, we're enjoying doing the AMC A-list. It's kind of like Movie Pass when movie... I don't think Movie Pass is still a thing. Surely they went bankrupt. But anyway, it's like 20 bucks a month and basically you can go to... I would say unlimited because it's up to three movies a week. Granted, that's per person. But anyway, it includes like the new releases, IMAX, all of that. Or maybe not IMAX, but definitely 3D. And so we went to see on opening night, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Some of y'all I have talked to about this already, or you may have seen on my Instagram. It was hard for me, and I'm not going to give spoilers, of course. It is a backstory of an animal character. And in fact, it's not really a spoiler to say because it's something that's included both in in the graphic novels, but also in the trailer. It's really about Rocket's backstory. And suffice to say, it was really fucking hard for me to watch. I am a bleeding heart vegan. And I imagine that this was really hard for most non-vegans to watch as well. But just for me, I don't know what it is. It's like my brain cannot compute that I'm watching something fictional. And so it was like like physically painful. Like I barely could tolerate it. I was like, "Mm, I need to work on my distress tolerance skills. And I just had to come home and like sob after silently crying through the movie. It was so well done. And I think PETA has named it like Animal Rights Movie of the Year. It's It really is phenomenal. I do recommend it with the caveat that you've got to kind of know what you're walking into. 
bring some Kleenex, be prepared for maybe watching something fun afterwards. <laughs> what I'm reading, this is where I'm going to share a little bit about our upcoming guest, whose name is Tasha Rain. And she wrote a book called From Princess to Porn Star. I'm learning about her in the book so far. So I feel like I'm only maybe a third of the way in. So I'm like, oh, there's so much more I want to tell you, but we're going to hear all about her in the next episode. But just suffice to say, you are absolutely going to want to tune into that one because I'm like glued to my Kindle reading this book. I got an early copy because of the podcast interview. It's coming out in the middle of June. It'll be linked in the show notes if you want to pre-order it. And I highly recommend it. I'm not really a memoir person, but I'm just like so enjoying this and so impressed with this woman. So From Princess to Porn Star by Tasha Rain. And then what I'm loving recently is if you're watching this on video or on YouTube or seeing a clip on Instagram, you will notice my lovely iridescent purplish pinkish eyeshadow. And I bought like five colors of this eyeshadow from ColourPop. It's called Jelly Much. I mean, I, do we not just love that branding? Jelly Much eyeshadow. And it really is like they're in these little pots and it is a very like jelly-like consistency. This color is called Duckling. They sell out pretty quickly. So you can get them on Ulta's website or ColourPop and maybe some others but they do sell out. So if you see colors that you like, grab them. They're like $9 a pop. Really love it. Okay. So let's dive into this topic of five reasons coaching is better than therapy. And it goes without saying that that's five reasons why I think that. This is my opinion. I'm not saying this is an objective fact. And the biggest caveat of this conversation is that coaching is better than therapy, in my opinion, for people who don't necessarily, quote unquote, need therapy. Now, what does that mean? Really, what I'm referring to there is acuity level. What is the level of distress or, quote unquote, pathology dysfunction? What? How much is someone's life being disrupted in significant, like what they would say, clinically significant distress in two or more areas of life. And, and in those cases, there is something clinically happening, right? There is a mental health issue that needs to be addressed with mental health care. And that means by someone who's had adequate training in that, right? So in the coaching world, there's a lot of I don't know, controversy, but it's figuring out the scope of practice can be really challenging. And especially if there are coach training programs that don't really go into depth on making that distinction of where the lines are for scope of practice, then, and, and there are programs out there that don't do that. There are programs that are talking about doing inner child work and all. And I'm not saying that can't be done in a coaching way, in a way that is honoring scope of practice. But I think there are plenty of times where it is not done and that, and that people who are training to be coaches are not given adequate guidance around where those lines are. And I'm very proud to say that just yesterday, I had my little graduation ceremony from Quantum Coach Academy, the most amazing program. And if you are at all considering becoming a coach, I can't recommend it enough. I did not quote unquote need to do a coach training program because I've been out there coaching. I have a ton of skills and ways to help people transform even at the subclinical level, which I'll get back to. So I already have a lot of those skills, but I really wanted to up and, and enhance my own transformational skills, both for 
therapy clients and coaching clients and myself. And the personal transformation through QCA has been phenomenal. And it's funny because in our little graduation ceremony recent, yesterday, a, a bunch of us were saying, we're like, I don't ever want to hire a coach again who wasn't in QCA, who, who's not a quantum coach because this training is so good. So if you're ever considering it, please reach out to me. I can give you my link to sign up where you would also get a bonus hypnotherapy session with me. And they are enrolling for the summer class that will be starting I think in June. So highly recommend that. But that was a little sidebar. Basically, what I was saying about it is that QCA also did a really good job honoring the, the conversation around scope of practice. And one of the lead trainers is also a therapist. And so I really, really appreciated that being a part of the ongoing conversation. However, that is not always the case in the coaching world. So if you're just somewhere, someone who's out there looking for, should I hire a coach? Should I hire a therapist? Just be aware that your current level of acuity, how serious are your symptoms? How distressing, how debilitating are they? That is going to be a variable because if you are coming to a coach with clinical level of issues, meaning like it might meet diagnostic criteria for a mental health disorder, then that coach should be referring you out. Or they should say, I will work with you if you are also under the care of a mental health clinician, a counselor, an LCSW like I am, LMFT. There's eight different degrees you can do and essentially do the same job. Another thing that I just want to say up front is that there are some cliches out there as far as the distinction between the two that I think are frankly just like vastly reductionistic and not even really true, such as, oh, therapy is about the past and coaching is about the future. I'm like, mm, I get it in the sense of like, we're not supposed to do trauma work in coaching, right? If, if you'd say that's the past. But therapy is very much also about the present and the future. And coaching can absolutely be about the past. So it's just frankly, not even true. And it's confusing, I think, because then on either side, you could be boxing yourself in and, and limiting the possibilities of the work. So really, it's all going to depend on the individual as far as is, is coaching better than therapy. It depends on the individual coach and the individual therapist. And that's why I say coach training programs are a dime a dozen nowadays. And so finding a coach who's done actual, very high quality training is something that you want to look for if you are hiring a coach. Even if you're hiring a therapist and you can say, well, they've made it through all of this schooling and they have this master's degree and they've done all these you know, practicum and internship and had all these supervised hours, it's still probably going to depend on the person because plenty of people get through that process and they're not very skilled. So you can have a very skilled coach and a not a very skilled therapist. You can have the exact opposite. Really depends on the person. And that's the hard thing, right? Is so much of it in either case is about finding the right person for you. Okay, so let's jump into the top five reasons why I like coaching better than therapy. Oh, <laughs> JK, one more caveat. Because really it's that I think coaching is better or more powerful or whatever. But let it be known I love my therapy clients. I love doing therapy. I probably approach it with a lot more of a coaching angle than a lot of clinicians would. I'm more direct, directive. But even so, coaching is not about telling people what to do. It's just like therapy in many ways that it's helping people uncover their own truth, their own strengths, their own healing. But 
there are some subtle kind of nuances in the approaches. And I'm just a more directive coach and therapist while also really wanting the whole process to be collaborative. So in that sense, like I work very similarly in both arenas similarly. And so I love my therapy clients. I love that work. I just so happen to probably, for the most part, I work with clients who are in a place where they're having those usually subclinical level of challenges. And so it kind of feels like I get to do, get to do coaching work in the therapy room too. And I love it. So love my therapy clients and really honor that work, especially the people who are doing really in the trenches work with very acute mental health issues. I worked in residential care for six years. It was like 20 years of clinical experience. I'm very grateful for that time and everything that I learned in that process and that job absolutely had a shelf life for me and it does for most people. So I really, really am appreciative of folks who enjoy working with high acuity and they are out there. Thank you for your service. Okay, now let's dive in. So number one, our managed care system can eat a dick. And what is managed care? If you've not heard that term, it's basically the you know official term for the way our health insurance system works. And I, when I learned that, that term managed care was like, ew. So they're basically just saying, they're just t- telling the truth that they're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones who get to decide, is this treatment medically necessary for you? Because we are only going to pay for it, even though you pay us all these premiums and all these co-pays and all these out-of-pocket things. Even though you pay us all of that, we still get to dictate your care. And even if the person providing the care, the actual clinician, the doctor, the therapist, the psychiatrist, even if they're telling you, if they're telling the insurance case manager that, yes, this is still medically necessary for this person to be at this level of care, insurance can still say, well, we disagree with you. We don't think she's made enough progress, so we think she's ready to leave. Or we think that because she's not actively cutting herself anymore, she's ready to discharge. Like it's absurd. Again, after having worked in residential care, and I talked about this, went deep on this too, and recently on the Hysterecology podcast, where I got interviewed by two therapists and it was, we were just having the best time. So I think that literally came out yesterday or today. I haven't even listened to it yet, but I will link to it in the show notes. They're so fun. So go check out that conversation on the Hysterecology podcast. But really, managed care, in order for anything to be covered by insurance, and that even includes out-of-network services, where they're like, eh, we'll reimburse you some of this once you hit this really high deductible, if we think it's medically necessary if you have a diagnosis, right? So let's say I'm working with someone who's got a subclinical level of anxiety or depression or whatever else. Technically, then insurance would not even reimburse that out of network or or in network because they don't meet criteria for diagnosis. Isn't that absurd? Like just gatekeeping is gross. And so it's diagnosis-based care that's dictated by the insurance companies. Love that. And then even though you can sort of opt out of that in mental health care, like in physical health care, it's just like, well, we're not going to pay an absurd amount for this MRI or this, you know, physical. So we're just going to use the in-network providers, right? That's pretty common for physical health stuff. It's more common depending on where you live. And again, like social socioeconomic status absolutely plays into this. Privilege plays into this that it's more common in some places and some SES 
for mental health care to be done outside of that system. So out of network, um, whether or not someone even attempts to get any reimbursement, because maybe they don't want a diagnosis, quote unquote, in their file. So then they're not even going to pursue out of network reimbursement. And this has come up before. Like, I remember when I was getting life insurance, they drilled me on the phone. Like, well, when did you go to therapy? And what was your diet? And it like, I had literally cried and it was just really not fun. And it can prevent people from doing military stuff or getting, you know, pilot's licenses and things like that. So there's a good reason why plenty of people just say, you know what, I'm not even going to do out of network benefits. I'm just going to do this kind of off the record. And even then, if, if it's in your chart, if your therapist is documenting things in a certain way, then it's in your file, technically speaking, if it were ever to be subpoenaed or something like that. So opting out of it is very understandable. And you can, for the most part, as a therapist, as a client, but there are some of these kind of complexities. And then the other thing that's kind of shitty is that because of all of that, how how insurance dictates care, they could say, well, this person's had enough sessions. So we're just going to stop paying for them. And then if people... in just assume that, well, this is healthcare. And so just like I wouldn't go to a doctor that's not covered by insurance, why am I going to do that for therapy? So then they're just not getting the care that they need if their insurance company decides that they've had enough. So a lot of therapists just like myself don't take insurance or are out of network providers, but it just depends on where you are. Because if I were two hours down the road in Tennessee, I wouldn't be able to have probably be able to sustain a practice with only self-pay clients. So it's just tough. There's a lot of complexity in this. And also I will say that it can, it does not always dictate the quality of care, but if you are in a city like Nashville, where the vast, vast majority of my therapist friends also don't take insurance because they, it reimburses so poorly here. And all of those other things that I mentioned that it, if you're, taking insurance here, sometimes, not always, sometimes it means that you couldn't necessarily fill your practice without that. And so it can be correlated to quality of care. But again, not always. Some therapists are saints and they're just like, you know what? I am very seasoned, but I am still going to be in network because this is my values. Our practice, we've decided to work on aligning with accessibility and our values in other ways besides taking insurance. Okay, this is enough of a soapbox on the insurance piece. I'm interrupting the pod very briefly for a quick message about how to work with me. If you enjoy this podcast, then we would probably be a great fit working together. I would love to support you, whether you are a leader, a business owner, or just someone who wants to crush some of your goals over the next few months. Let's talk. I have several programs and would love to tell you more about them and learn what you are wanting to work toward. You can shoot me a DM, an email, find me online at badbitchtherapist.co. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's jump to point number two, which is that there are strict rules in therapy around what they call dual relationships. So that means basically that if I have been someone's therapist and with my license as a a clinical social worker, the National Association of Social Workers Code of Ethics says that I can never have another type of relationship with someone, meaning I can never in the future be friends with someone who was ever my client. Now, and the, the rules for that vary based on license. And so for instance, for LPCs, I think maybe this is nationally, I can't remember how, which ones, which rules are national and which rules are state-based, but 
for LPCs, I think it's like after two years, you could have a dual relationship. For uh, other providers, it might be even less time. For I think for MDs, it's like as long as you're not actively somebody's patient or somebody's doctor, then you can have whatever kind of dual relationship. So it frankly really sucks for me sometimes because it's like obviously the most important thing in my therapeutic relationships is serving my client. Like I'm not going to be like, ooh, boo-hoo, I'm sad that I can't be your friend ever. But it is, it's really sucks sometimes, especially if someone has like come such a far away and I just really you know, felt that resonance with them. And it's like, oh, in another world, we would have been friends, but it's too bad that won't ever happen. Right. Um, and same goes with like self-disclosure that whether it's in therapy or coaching, me talking about myself should be clinically or, or in a coaching way relevant. It should be relevant in support of the client. Otherwise, why am I going to do it? But in coaching, there's a little more leeway. There's a little more room for me to be a full human than in the therapy room where there's this, you know, rigidity around that sort of relationship. And also there's just like that inherent weirdness of the therapy relationship, because again, it's like, I know all of this about you and you know, very little about me. Now it's changing a little bit in the world of social media where people can go and learn stuff about me and see a little bit about my life. And obviously I'm very intentional about, I don't share anything in public social media channels that I don't expect that any of my clients could find. Right. And that's just sort of the, the rule of thumb around that. But in the coaching world, there's just still a little bit more room to be more fully human and more connected in a reciprocal way than is the case in therapy relationships. And there's a reason for that. You know, there's times where when someone's dealing with certain levels of issues, having that kind of not rigidity, but that those boundaries that are just clear cut, it makes sense. I get it. And so again, this is really more relevant when we're talking about folks who are not struggling with a clinical level of issues and plenty of people in therapy. I didn't say this earlier, but plenty of people who are in therapy, like I said, some of my clients are not necessarily struggling at a clinical level of distress. So it might be actually fine to have a little bit more of that flexibility and like reciprocal relationship. Okay. Point number three, creativity is obviously possible in both areas, but to me, it feels even more encouraged and open in the coaching space. So for instance, with evidence-based treatment, it's only evidence-based if you're following a specific protocol. And it's not like there's evidence-based treatment police who are out there making sure that every therapist is only practicing EBT. And that just means, you know, what are the quote unquote interventions or models, techniques that have been proven to work with X clinical issue. And, and those that research is obviously extremely important. Things like exposure and response prevention treatment for OCD, game-changing for people with OCD. So having good research around evidence-based treatment is so important. I'm not discounting that. But again, I've also experienced the value of modalities that are more creative, more out of the box. And while there is some research on some expressive or creative experiential modalities, far less so than these sort of like, we're sitting across doing talk therapy, doing cognitive behavioral therapy and stop having that thought, right? Just like very clinical, very kind of just very in the box. And I, as a person really value having space for both the respecting the science and honoring the science and 
little bit of woo, a little bit of we don't quite know, right? And there's mystery and holy shit. I mean, sometimes the two can meet. I was doing EMDR with a client recently, which is a very strongly evidence-based treatment. And I, she was just going off into some kind of transpersonal spiritual experience. I'm like, I'm here facilitating, but I am not the one doing the work right now, right? And I mean, I'm relatively agnostic. I don't necessarily have a lot of beliefs, spiritually speaking. But I, when things like that happen, I'm just like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what's what's powerful because this feels 100% real and true. And I know that it's real for her. So I'm loving the shit out of what's happening right now. So yeah, there's space for both even more so to me in coaching. And again, going back to point number one, there's a lot of times where insurance companies will basically demand or insist that the provider is using only evidence-based care. There's a organization called Lyra that's like, oh, well, they reimburse better, but I have to prove to them that I'm only using evidence-based treatment. And if they see half my website, they're going to say, no, we don't want you. So I don't want you either. (laughs) Number four is that It's easier to explore a variety of approaches and perspectives in coaching, even at the same time, and not not necessarily at the same time. But for instance, I am currently in memberships with a couple of different coaches. I am in a mastermind with one of those. I am doing one-on-one work with another one, and I'm also in her membership. I recently went to an event hosted by another coach. So yeah, that might sound like a lot. And yes, If any of you are similar to me, there is like strong temptation to bring in all the coaches because all of their offerings are so amazing and I like want them all at the same time. But this is also like my number one hobby. And so I don't expect that most of you quite have that level of pathology (laughs) around wanting all the coaches all the time. So yes, there can be the temptation to like join every container that sounds amazing. And that's something that I'm working on. It's part of my growing edge. But it's not something that is, whereas with therapy, it can get kind of messy. Like, yes, you absolutely can have an individual therapist. You can have a couples therapist, a group therapist, like all of that blends really well together and supports each other. But sometimes there's like, oh, well, I'm seeing this person for regular therapy and this person for eating disorders, but then there's this overlap. And anyway, it's just, sometimes it's confusing. And then sometimes it's like, oh my God, how do I break up with my therapist if it's not a good fit. And I don't want to have that conversation. So I'm just going to keep going and going as opposed to a lot of coaching work is done in time limited containers, for instance, like a three month program or a six week program. Now there are other things like these memberships that are ongoing with the understanding that, you know, if it's no longer serving you, then opt out. But there's just so many, so many possibilities, so much creativity and what the work actually looks like. Okay, so that takes us to point number five, which is that the boundaries of communication between sessions in therapy can be much more rigid if they happen at all. And again, when there's people struggling with a clinical level of issue, that sort of structure, rigidity, keeping it inside the session room, like might make complete sense. But for folks who are not at that kind of place clinically or with their symptoms, then it can be honestly very limiting. So it's not about creating dependency on a therapist or a coach, but if if you're just in your life, then a lot of times 
you might have that moment where you're like, oh my God, I wish I could share this with my therapist now and not have to wait like two weeks. It's like so fresh right now. Or I have this question and it would be so helpful to have feedback on this right now, or even a mirror on this issue right now, or, you know, sooner than a week or two. And, and a lot of times you might feel really good when you're in a session, in a therapy session, and you feel good right after, but then it's like you're back to sort of your whole life. And so I love that coaching can integrate better into your whole life. So especially with group stuff and all the confidentiality that is just a, an important part of the therapy world, there's not necessarily a lot of room for easy connection between those groups. Whereas in group coaching, like, oh my gosh, one of the memberships that I'm in that's for business, I'm like, we are in that you know telegram chat and we're just popping off and we're sending voice memos and we're sending texts on here's what I'm doing and here's my challenge. And it's wonderful because now I'm like making these relationships in addition to getting the guidance from the coach who's holding that space. So there are ways of connecting and doing the work that weave into your life more in a more integrated way and that are impactful without spending like an hour and a half driving to therapy, sitting there for 50 minutes, driving home, you know, like there's just ways that you can have these little powerful pops of oh my gosh, of insight, of action that can happen much more quickly when you're not waiting a week, two weeks, a month in between them. So I love that. And that takes me right into Lit AF, which is my brand new membership that is really for women who are ready to step up into their next level. And it might be in any area of life, whether it's just like making a better relationship with yourself, feeling more confident, making shit happen, doing the things that you tell yourself you're going to do, whether that's goals or habits or relationships or professional goals, business goals, any and all of that can be part of this experience. And we are starting officially on June 1st, really with whoever is in at that point. Like, you guys, I'm being vulnerable throwing this out there. I don't have a large quote unquote audience yet. But when I realized that I didn't need to wait and I could be like, you know what? I'll start with one. I'll start with two. I'll start with whoever feels magnetized to this offer, to this space, this container. And that is enough. And that's going to be beautiful. And in fact, the people who join early are in for a treat because you're probably going to get even more time with me. You're going to get more of my attention and me getting to know you in a deeper level. So come on in early, like join the party. And also there's benefits of getting in early is that you get the founding member rate, which is the price will be going up by $50 a month. So that founding member rate is really something that if you want in this container, lock that in now, you get to keep that rate for as long as you're in the program continuously. And let's see, what else did I want to share? Yeah. So even though we'll start on June 1st, there's no such thing as late. And that's the beauty of memberships. There's no catching up. It's not a course where you're going to feel behind or like, oh my God, there's this these videos I need to watch and I have to catch up and now I'm behind and I just feel guilty and I want to avoid it. No, this membership space is not anything you can be behind on. It's a place to dip into, to plug into, to hear the drops that I'm going to share in the Telegram chat. So those will be audio usually. Occasionally they might be video or text, but I'm going to be dropping a lot of audios. Those will go into a private podcast feed. And also as a bonus, 
In that private podcast feed, I am going to be sharing seven audio practices, one for each morning of the week. And this is something that like when I thought of this idea literally earlier this morning, I got so excited because I would use to, I used to scour the internet and the podcast apps for like, I need a practice that is specifically for this day. And I just never really found something that met that need because what I need to hear on a Monday is different from what I need to hear on a Wednesday, a Friday, a Saturday. And I really benefit from having that kind of like pep talk, a little bit of energy work, a little bit of, of mindfulness. First thing in the morning, even before I crawl out of bed, it actually helps me get out of bed. So I am creating that for y'all and I will be listening to them probably most mornings as well. So that is going to be a bonus that, that you get when you join. And those bonuses will be coming out a little bit before June 1st. So you'll have that to look forward to. And you'll also get my four minute chill the fuck out practice, which is one that you can also listen to on the private podcast feed. Anytime that you're just like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. You're overwhelmed. You're flooded. You need to regulate your nervous system. Four minutes, chill the fuck out practice. So excited to share that with you. And you will also get a little joy mail welcome kit, which basically just means I'm going to mail you some things that are going to be a total surprise. So wait for that to find out. And also, if you get, if you either sign up now, you join before May 25th, or you at least join the early interest list, which is no commitment. If you're kind of on the fence, you could join that early interest list by May 25th, and you will get an additional bonus of a custom evening meditation that is individualized to you and your specific goals, needs, and intentions. So I will send you a little survey so that I can gather some information and I will create that practice specifically for you. I am so lit the fuck up about this program. And I love that it's going to be an ongoing thing that develops that becomes even more and more what it needs to be based on what we are experiencing inside. So like I said, we're going to start with whoever's in. And I really, really hope that that's you. Because if you're hearing this and you're feeling pulled to it, like trust it. I'm like, hashtag it's a sign, bitch. (laughs) Seriously. If you have any questions about it, please DM me. You can find the links at my Instagram at bad.bitch.therapist. And you can also find them if you're not really on IG at my link tree, which is linked at my IG, but it's just linktr.ee slash Val K-A-Y Martin linktr.ee slash Val K Martin. And that will also be linked in the show notes of this episode. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and I'll see you next time. Oh, hey there, it's me again. (laughs) If you're listening, you'll probably notice that this sounds a little different. And if you're watching on video, you know why. That's because I'm outside right now, walking around in my neighborhood. I realized after sending my episode recording to my producer with my fancy backdrop and everything that I forgot that the timeline that I was saying in the initial recording would not be correct because I recorded the episode about a week and a half before it will air. So I'm here to update the timing for Lit AF. We will begin on June 1st. So if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, that's just in a couple of days, but There is no such thing as late. There is no such thing as behind. So you start whenever you start, but there are bonuses to joining sooner rather than later. 
One of them is locking in the founding members pricing, which is currently 147. It will go up to 197. And originally I was gonna do that just through the end of May. I will probably scoot it a little bit into June, but you don't wanna miss out getting on that founding members pricing. You can lock that in for as long as you're continuously in the membership. I will also be sending bonus audio recordings soon as well. So if you join, you will get any and all of the bonuses. And I think that's it. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you feel moved, just go join, lock in that pricing. And if you have questions, please reach out. I would be happy to chat with you or answer them and see you guys later. Hell yeah, friend, you made it to the end. I so appreciate you tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, make my day by subscribing and leaving a five-star review to help other people find this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to grab my free video training on how to get shit done toward your high priority goals without getting distracted or stuck by ADHD or squirrel brain. Just head to badbitchtherapist.co slash three tips. That's .co slash the number three tips. You can follow my antics on TikTok at badbitchtherapist and on Instagram at the same, but with dots between the words. Thanks so much for being here. Now go out there and have a great fucking day.